ride with me in my foul life. Here we are again, podcast audience. What's shaking? Chad Bowling back at you. Another awesome episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you guys and girls so much for the subscriptions, the downloads, the continuous support, and please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support us here at all of our endeavors and brands. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends that promise to keep your honey hole open. Mallard View Outdoors, the original ice eater. If you guys understand duck hunting and the importance of loafs and roosts day roost night roost where the ducks sleep where the geese sleep where ducks come to feed might be flooded corn could be flooded beans flooded rice there's so many different applications that take place during duck season but when the weather turns cold and you need to keep that hole open if it's iced up and you need to break that hole open with a chainsaw or a sledgehammer and put an ice eater in there or if you just need some decoy movement where it is applicable and where it is legal check your state and local regulations and law and make sure you abide by those laws of mechanical or electronic decoys or decoy pulsators. But the Mallard View Outdoors Ice Seeder will not only keep the hole open, open up a hole in a hurry, it will also make your decoy spread come alive. We've used them for so many different things and we're experiencing another season of ups and downs and it's just fun to get creative, unorthodox, think outside of the box. And that's what we're going to talk about today of what the owner, the founder, Josh Tishner, is back to discuss what he's hearing out there for the 2020-2021 waterfowl season. Josh, welcome back, my man. Glad to be here, man. Beautiful day in Kentucky. Is it? Yes, sir. 75 degrees and sunshine. What is uh, 75 degrees and sunshine during January does not sound like beautiful weather to me. The sunshine I'll take, but the 75 degrees, you're kidding on that part, right? And I'm I may be exaggerating a little bit. It is probably sixty five. It's uh it's way too warm. Way too warm. It's uh it's but it warm. is what it is and we gotta deal with it. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Here we are, January. You know, we're coming close to the end of duck season again already it flew by but the temperatures out here are crazy we're in the mid 50s in nevada we're in the mid 60s in california southern oregon it's supposed to be a high of 35 right now with lows in the low 20s or high teens you know perfect weather to use an ice eater but what are you hearing out there are you getting any good duck reports at all anywhere in the country Man, we're we're here, and uh, you know, my buddies up in Missouri seems to be having Missouri and Kansas tends to be the uh, the sweetest reports that I'm getting. Uh, Kentucky's still good for, I guess, basketball and big deer, but man, it's a it's tough in Kentucky for ducks. I've heard that Arkansas is having a rough go right now too. Have you heard anything out of that state? I have. I've been talking to my buddy Billy Jack up in Bisco and. Matt Spoon, he's the runs the gun, you know, department and gunsmith up at Max, and I reckon it's pretty tough, pretty tough. I heard it is too. I heard several of the locals are moving into different states right now to spend the next couple of weeks because the extended forecast doesn't look real good either. But I, uh, I I've been uh, putting ice eaters in for the last couple of days um, because we are supposed to start to get a freeze here with uh, some good snowfall. And um, you ship me these two units. What uh, what are you 
going to tell somebody like myself, if I see an extended forecast that it's going to, the temperatures in five days from now, they're supposed to really start falling out. Do you get the ice seeder in there the day before and get it all situated? How long does this take? You think, how long do you tell the customer, like give yourself this much time to make sure that you get the cables ran, you get the ice seeder placed, you get all of the generators in place. You make sure that your fuel's ready to roll. How long do you tell somebody they need to give themselves? It could happen in a matter of minutes or do they need a full day for this process? You know, there's there's two different scenarios that plays itself out here. There's always the the runner and the gunner that takes an ice eater, the little Honda 2200 generator, a six gallon tank, and those guys can be ready in 10, 15 minutes. You know, take them in a boat, take them in the back of a Ranger or whatever, and uh, 15, 20 minutes you can be set up ready to rock and roll. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum. You've got the guys that's got the the duck clubs who knows where they're going every day. They're going to have more of the live power. And those kind of guys, you know, they're going to leave them out all season long. Uh, but the other guys, you know, like take, for instance, our, our personal hole here in Kentucky, we got four 230-volt ice seeders run. We got uh, two separate runs of 600 foot of, uh, of, of number six buried underground, and we run it to a little diesel generator. You know, so in, in our situation, we go out there and uh, we start the generator. If it's going to be cold enough, we let it run 24-7. But, uh, you know, but so the guys that's got the more permanent setups, you know, they're this, they're there. They're ready. It's just a matter of going out and getting in, flipping a switch and your ice eaters. It's ready. And the other guys, you know, it's going to take you 15, 20 minutes to uh, to get it out and get it unloaded and get everything set up. But now if you if it's cold enough and you have to break a little ice, uh, you know, it's going to take a little longer to pump more of that warm water up on top of that ice. So, you know, you need to you, you can do that first thing and give yourself an hour, hour and a half if you've got an inch of ice to uh, to get that hole established and then get yourself a little time to just keep making it bigger and bigger. That brings up a good question, Josh Tishner, is the 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 ice is already there. We're going to break our hole open and place the ice eater in there. Once we get it down in there, how far, two questions, how far below the surface of that ice, of that water, do you want the tip of the barrel and what angle do you want the barrel at of the ice eater that contains the blade in the aeration unit that's that's turning the water and and circulating the water what angle do you want that at to get that water up on top of the ice and how deep do you want it below the surface how deep does it have to be below the surface i tell you man the the, the angle of the dangle question that's that's a deep question chad i mean that's that's a big question i'm ready for i'm <laughs> but, ready for uh, it. but anyway I like, I like it being about six to 10, 12 inches below the surface. Anywhere up to 12, 14 inches is totally fine. Uh, some people just don't have the luxury of having three to four foot water. So if you've only got 20 inches of water, you're still in pretty good shape, you know, but try to get it, try to get it at least five to six inches below so it don't make that cavitating gurgling sound like a, like a draining bathtub, for an example. Uh, so try to get it at least six inches up to a foot and a half below. And I like them at about a 40 degree angle pointed up. Uh, the, you know, some areas the ducks can just withstand more water movement and more of that moving water sound than others. So my answer there is that there's not really an exact answer to that because you just got to experiment with your honey hoe and see what your ducks allow and see what they like. If they, if they will take a little more of that water movement and more agitation, give it to them. 
because I like to see them decoys bouncing, the water churning, and, you know, I like to see it. But sometimes these skittish ducks, they won't quite let you get away with that. How how is the the regulations of the ice eater? You know, no, you're in the business every day. Does it go right along with the 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 laws of uh you know in states like California? You can't use a mechanical spinning wing decoy until well into December, December tenth around there. Is that same for the ice eater? Does it count as that mechanical electric decoy? Um, you know, moving the decoys is it, is it fall under the same realm as a mojo would or some of these other pulsating decoy butts or feeders or you know what I'm talking about? I know you know Kentucky, Missouri, and all these places. I mean, you know, our 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 places close to home just not an issue whatsoever. But of course, the correct answer for me to give is to check with your own local state regulations and make sure that the end user, as the hunter, does his homework to find out exactly what the local regulations are. But I'm not aware of too many places uh, that they're not allowed. I think there is a couple of places, but as far as the exact details. I don't really know. You know, Missy knows more about that because she she probably is better about the the regulations than I am. But uh, but you know, overall they're widespread. Do you have any success stories from this season yet with people calling and just raving or sending in testimonials? Have you heard anything that just tickles your fancy as far as the success of your product? You know, out there making everybody's hunts better. It's always awesome to see these videos that the end user, the customer, you know, and I'm not going to say they're the end user, they're the customer and there and there are there are partners and passion in the business. You know, they 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 send us these awesome videos of of, you know, they go out, they're froze up. Uh, they, they get them thawed out. They're sharing these awesome experiences with their dads and their children and, and grandfathers with their grandkids. And that's really what makes it worthwhile to us is that we we have the ability to change somebody's season for a positive note, you know, and watching those personal videos that they take the time to make, send back to us, thanking us for a great product that's made in America, man, all that's just awesome. And that's really what warms you up. That's what makes it. That's what, that's why we do it. Do you, uh, do you have a, a, a wall of fame in your shop? Do you get a lot of pictures or does Missy print them off to, to remind you of what you're working for and that in consumer and what they're getting to benefit off of this product? You know, it's, it's cool. We, we, we did, we did some of them little deals where people sends in pictures of their honey holes and uh, you know, we'd give some free product out to guys and, but it's always totally awesome. Yeah, like you said, you know, she'll print some things out, but, and we always respond to every one of them you know, getting their feedback, getting their info. And, and it's just awesome, man, talking to the people and uh, hearing the passion in their voice and, and that, that we are actually changing their season for a positive note. And that, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's what it, it comes down to is, you know, what the duck hunter has to deal with when you when it comes to adversity and how to adapt. A lot of people – you know, they have this notion that you just go out there and you can hunt the same hole daily and you can set your decoys out there and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And you have the, the, the art of adaption is so key in the success to be consistently successful in anything in life. But with duck hunting, there's so many moving parts that go in to decoying ducks close. And if, if guys and girls who are really getting into this, you know, take anything out of this, I hope they take out the idea that you have to be able 
to get up and change things once in a while. You have to be able to think forward, focus forward. You have to be able to, you know, figure out what that barometric pressure is going to do, what that extended weather forecast is going to do, and what a product like the Mallard View Outdoors Ice Eater and what the Tishner family is building here. It's more than just something that you just drop in and hope that the ducks come. This is something that is going to allow you to adapt, and it could get you through cold cold temperatures when they hit in december and january and even into you know some of these later canada goose seasons into mid-february josh i've had so much success of being able to take these ice eaters into states like nebraska or colorado and keep these gravel pits the edges of them open to where they the geese come over them they come off this cornfield and they come over these gravel pits or these ponds these man-made ponds these embankments and you they see this just this mass of full body decoys along the edge, along the shoreline. And then they see moving water that allows you to put your floating decoys in there. It allows you to get that ripple. It allows movement. It allows that, that authentic, realistic sunshine and that sheen off of the water. And I'm telling you, Josh Tishner, we have decoyed groups of hundreds of lesser Canada geese at a time, 50, 75 big Canada geese at a time, not to mention the ducks are still around and they're decoying to it like crazy. So the art of adaption is what I relate to the ice eater that you and the guys and the girls at Mallard View Outdoors build, the art of adaption. If somebody teaches themselves something this season, you have to adapt because we were hunting over an ice eater a week ago. And now we're in the mid 60s. But in five days, we got cold weather temperatures coming again. So we can't hang our heads and be like, oh, man, the duck dogs aren't the duck gods aren't cooperating. We got to be ready for when those temperatures drop again, because you know what's going to happen, Josh, that that tickle is going to happen in that mallard duck's ear, that Canada goose's ear. It's going to start to tickle when that pressure falls, and they're going to have to get active. They're going to have to feed more. They're going to have to fly around more, and that's going to give you a chance to decoy more. So talk to me a little bit about what, what you think about when you hear those words, the art of adaption. Art of adaption. Are we talking about marriage or are we talking about duck hunting still? Because <laughs> <laughs> generally, you know, when, when, when Missy calls me Josh Titchener, Jan, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So, you know, you, you call me by my full name, brother. I'm, you got my attention. I'm paying attention because that means I'm in trouble. Yeah, you need so to adapt. So whether we're talking about marriage or duck hunting, you got to adapt, brother. You got to adapt. So there's a lot, you know, life is about adaption, right? This is a, you just opened up a deep well. But, uh, but you're right with, with adaption, you know. You know, here in Kentucky, uh, you know, we're dealt a pretty tough card over the last 10, 15 years with ducks. And and we're struggling. We're struggling mightily this year. And, and I know I've talked to a lot of people, and this is becoming a little bit of a trend, a little bit of a disturbing trend, just to be honest with you, because the ducks that we do have, uh, they're almost nocturnal. They're coming in 10 minutes after shooting time, and they're just darn near unhuntable. You know, we can go out there and set all day, and see a handful of ducks, and then five minutes after shooting time when we're picking up, headed to the truck, we can turn around and watch 1,500 mallards just piling into the honey oak, you know, right into our hole that we've sat there all day and seen 30, 40 ducks. So we got to figure out, you know, what we can do with these nocturnal night feeding ducks. Uh, you know, so that's our biggest thing we have to overcome right now. But, uh, but you know, the the, the you're talking about adaption and whether whether you choose and switch up and go hunt the river or whether you hunt the flooded corn or whether you hunt, you know, timber is still my favorite, but uh, we don't, you know, we just got some good old sloughs and thickets when the water gets up here and it's still my favorite, but, uh, but you got to be able to move and move with the tide and roll with the punches and, 
and do what you got to do to get on that X. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, some of the coolest things about the ice eater is its portability. We talk about the art of adaption, but the portability of an ice eater. I don't want people to ever be intimidated by something that comes with a metal frame. Um, uh, Insulation, we we talked about a tiny bit just now, but putting these things together is a cakewalk. It's easy as heck. You open the box. There's two boxes that come. You got the aerator unit in it with the fan. Then you have the frame that comes in another set of cardboard. Easy build it's easy to to put you guys have engineered it to where it's a no-brainer a monkey can put these things together now that when we start mixing portability with adaptability that's when things get really really interesting is that what can be done with this i have video of us in boat rides 15 17 miles long of carrying two ice eaters at a time with generators and the cables and yes it is a lot of work but when you find the mallards you find the mallards and you got to make sure that you get to them and you stay on them. And if that, if that takes again, if as long as you're abiding by the legal means of the law in your local area and the federal laws of migratory bird hunting, you can create a scene or a hunt and a memory and write a story that will be unforgettable. And I don't know if you can get decoying birds better birds to decoy better than over an opened up ice hole with one of these aerating ice ice eaters from Mallard View Outdoors. And when you start talking about that portability part of it, Josh, you've you've had to see so much over the years of where people are willing to take these things and what they're willing to do with them. You talked about the guys that have their pond, they got the you know the electrical ran underlying through the piping and everything, and they just flip a switch and it's on, and that's what they hunt. That's their pride and joy. They hunt that hole. But if you're moving around, if you're a runner and a gunner like we are, these things are portable, right? Absolutely. One of the coolest things you can do, you know, one of the coolest things you can do, and I've, you know, is you can actually, if you got a, if you got a boat with a blind, which is one of my favorite ways to hunt, is out of a boat because man, you can cook and the camaraderie is close. It's awesome. But you can actually take a portable climbing deer stand, take it over to a tree. Now, just follow me on this. So you got two ice eaters mounted on the edge of your boat. And they're literally attached to your to your gun rail on the side of your boat, and you can hang them dudes off the side. And you can you can it takes a little adaptation, but but people duck hunters are adapters. That's what we do. So you can take our stand and and you can you can adapt it a little bit, and you can hang that ice eater under the water, and then you can you can you know put your generator. Uh, don't never have your generator in the boat because of fumes and carbon monoxide and all that good stuff. So get it outside the boat, outside the pit, get it up in a, on a little portable stand. And if you can figure out a way to put a little hood over it to make it quieter, all the better. But you can literally have ice eaters mounted to the side of your boat uh, and keeping a nice 50, 60, 70, 80 foot diameter hole open right in front of your, right in front of your boat, you know, on the boat. And, uh, you know, so anywhere you move the boat, Man, you can open up your own your own personal hole in a matter of 30, 40 minutes and, and just bring them dudes to the dinner table. Do you recommend do you when you have that noise going on like you talk about? Because I've done that in flooded timber in Arkansas, Louisiana, the Delta of Mississippi. 
um, you know, tie, you know, roping them off the trees with ratchet straps. I've used dog stands to, to, to place the, the generator on while the ice eater's out doing its thing. You do have to contend with some things. Like you talked about the bubbling effect. How deep can you get it? And a lot of flooded timber holes, the water's not that deep. You can press these things down into the mud. You can, if it's a, if it's a hole that you're going to hunt all season, you can dig little deeper embankments in your hole that to, to make sure that's where the ice eater goes. You can mark those with flags or some type of, of way of knowing right where that hole is so people aren't stepping in it. But during the hunt, when you have that noise going on to that generator and you, you, you have to keep it running in states, again, where it's legal, you have to keep it running because these temperatures can freeze that hole again. And what that does is a lot of different things to the duck hunter wondering, well, if I break the ice and I lay my decoys in there, is that good enough? The answer is absolutely not. If you break open an ice hole and you have shattered glass all around that hole and you have cracks in the, in the, in the ice around it, there's nothing that looks worse from the air and more unrealistic to, to late season mallards or other waterfowl. So when they fly over that hole and they see decoys sitting idle and just a bunch of clumps of ice, real ducks don't do that. They do look for open water. Now, if you take the time with a broom or a rake, a garden rake or whatever, once that ice eater starts doing its thing, you can start to move those pieces of ice out of the hole underneath the existing ice. You don't really want to break it up into small chucks if you, if you can, you know, not have to because those small chunks you're going to start throwing them up on top of the ice they're going to shine in a different way they're going to have the ability or the potential to flare incoming flocks so the best thing to do is take your time and what does that mean josh it means giving yourself more time getting there earlier it's a lot of work but it's better than getting there late still doing the work of the ice eater the glass is all over the place with the broken ice and then all of a sudden the ducks are there and you can't decoy them because they're flaring out of your hole and you're like what the heck it's better to be tired after you kill a limit or a few a few limits you know out of a bunch a bunch of hunters go back and have a nice breakfast and take a long nap to rest back up you know what i'm saying Absolutely. You know, you hit a good spot there. And if a person is, if a person thinks through with a little foresight and breaks this ice up in the biggest possible manageable pieces and then sliding it back under the existing ice, like you just exactly said, uh, that, that is worth, that's worth its weight in admission right there. And also, you know, don't be afraid. I think we've touched on this before. Don't be afraid to get out and move the ice eater around a little bit. The more of that water you can pump up on top and let that sunshine hit it, it really speeds up the progress. But don't be afraid to move that ice eater around and, uh, you know, really maximize the efficiency of it. What do you What do you tell guys that that are going to, you know, they're going to end this season. The temperatures are going to get cold in a lot of different parts of the country. Do you get it? Do you tell them, would your advice right now, Tishner, be to, hey, make sure that you are running this ice eater 24-7 during these cold temperatures? Do you have to run these 24-7 depending on how cold it's getting? If it's only getting down to 25, can you afford to turn them off at night and, and save your fuel bill and then start them up in the morning right before the hunt and expect a clear hole? Or would you recommend no? When it gets down below the freezing temp of 32, 31 degrees and it's down in the 20s consistently, do you say get ready, get your, you know, get a drum of gasoline ready or get ready to go out several times during the night and fill that tank up on your generator? How often or how long should they run them when the temperatures get down to that cold? I'll tell you, man. I mean, here's the deal. Uh, duck season is 60 days out of the year. And sometimes a man's got to sacrifice a little something 
to get everything you can get out of a duck hoe. So the answer to that question is this. If, it, if it's hovering around that 31, 31, 5, or, you know, 29, yes, you can turn it off and you can go out there the next morning 30, 40 minutes early. You can crank that dude up and it's going to do a pretty good job. But it absolutely will not do as good of a job as if you just let it run uh, all night long. You know, the, the, these Mallard View ice eaters, they're, they're manufactured to run 24, and we get this question every day. Was it going to hurt my ice eater to run it 24-7, or am I going to wear it out? Well, here's all I can tell anybody. These things have got a three-year warranty. They're designed and made to run continuous duty 24-7, 365. So, you know, get your money's worth out of them. Use them. Of course, if, if, the, fuel, if the fuel bill is, is, a, is a problem, maximize your budget and run it as long as you can. But, uh, but if not, run that thing. If it's below freezing, run that dude as much as you can stand it, and your hoe will be better for it. Uh, you know, and we've seen it. We've seen it, Chad, where, you know, out in the Dakotas, you know, we've got pitchers. Uh, we've got customers that send us pitchers of 24 inches of solid ice that they had to get a 32-inch chainsaw bar to get through it because a 24-inch bar wouldn't get through the ice. And all they wanted to do, they was not hunting over this hoe. Uh, they was actually using it for snow geese to water from. So they didn't have, and it was 20, it was so bitter cold. And the, uh, the ice was 24, 26 inches solid. And they run three ice eaters 24 seven just to give their snow geese a place to get water, to keep them around. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was it, awesome, you know, watching them go through that transformation. No, I, I think that like, can you imagine the, the, the feeling of accomplishment that these duck hunters have these late season, these spring snow goose season guys that are, they got to figure out a way to keep the birds in the area. If it's all froze tight, those birds are gone. They have to have water. They, if there's food available and there's not a ton of snow on it, you know, those snow geese are going to find that snow line. You got to have the water around to keep those con concentrations of big you know big concentrations of spring snow geese in the area and think about what you're doing there you're not just helping a guy get a nice pile for his pepperoni or his processing and his sausage for that week you're helping the the idea of what the depredation or the spring conservation season's all about with the federal government setting these you know the tone with no limits electronic calls no plug in your gun it's it's our duty right to be out there to take as many out of the the ecosystem as we can because of what they're doing to the tundra or the breeding grounds or cropland and farmland all over the all over the flyways of north america so I think it's a huge accomplishment, but back to what I was saying, Josh, about, um, you know, being in that flooded timber and having that hole open and, and having that noise of that generator. And what if you can't get the generator too far? There is one way of creating a quieter work zone, AKA hunting zone. And that's by having, you know, the hundred foot cord, getting it back as far as you can, maybe doubling up on that with long extension cords and getting it way back there. As long as you're watching your power source and you have the correct amount of output on it. Now, if you can't get the generator that far away, but like I was saying, you have to keep it running or those cold temps are going to freeze you shut again and it's prime time and those ducks are coming off at 10, 30, 11 o'clock ready to hunt that thaw. It's go time. You can't turn it off because once you freeze, you're done again. And it creates all that much work. Now you got to be out there. You're going to flare flocks of ducks that really want to come into this honey hole. 
you can call. You can use your duck call as a as a a, a, a solution here. You can quack them in. You can, you can get some chatter going, power chuckle going. You can do things like that. I'm here to say in a test of all my hunts over an ice eater, I would say that a majority, more so than not, have been with the generator on and closer to the hunt than I would want it to be. I have very rarely seen the noise deter incoming flocks. They are so zoned in on the calling and the the look of that decoy spread being alive, that open water that we've taken the time to clean out, the full bodies on the ice, the floaters in the moving water, shoreline full of full body mallards or Canada geese. I have very rarely seen it defer incoming flocks. Would you agree with that? What I see, my personal experience has shown me that as though, and, and, and I'm going to say this, then we're going to get back to a previous point, but my personal experience has shown me that those ducks and those honkers are coming from a distance away, and that generator, it's not like they hit a brick wall where it was quiet, and then all of a sudden it's a loud, abrupt sound. They they, they kind of tune into that generator sound as they're coming, so it's, it's a gradual effect. And then, like you said, they're checking out the decoys. They're listening to the calling. They're looking, and, and, and they just don't seem to me to bother them much. But but here's I'm going to go back to real quick to what you said about in the timber. There is a few tricks of the trade, Chad Belding, that, uh, that a man can do to quieten that generator down even more. Whether you've got your generator tied to a tree, whether you've got it set on a beaver hut, whatever. Uh, the guys, it's really ambitious. You can take a little dog stand, a little dog crate. It's just about right to fit over a little Honda 2200 generator or whatever brand you choose. You can cut the bottom of that little that little dog hood out, or you can set your generator inside of it. If you want to go one step further, you can take a little insulation and insulate the inside of that dog, that little dog crate. And uh, you always got to remember this. you got to have fresh air for a little bit of an intake. You know, it's got to breathe fresh air. And some guys will go one step further, even after putting the little hood around it, and you can put a little flexible pipe, a little tubing, and you can, guys are pretty creative. Guys and gals that are duck hunters are creative individuals. And you can actually even put a little two-foot piece of flexible pipe and put it under the water and let that exhaust bubble under the water. And man, you're talking about getting quiet. If you've got a little bit of ingenuity to you, you can make these generators pretty darn quiet. And when you start talking about these generators, what would you recommend for the ultimate, for the guy that's going to open up that timber hole and want to keep it running throughout the hunt? What, what generators would Josh Tishner recommend? Well, we learned this. We learned this very early in this business, 14, 15. I, I keep saying 14 years ago, but now it's been closer to 15. We started out with an off-brand, cheaper brand of generator because it was cheaper. But I have learned uh, in my 47 years of life, cheaper is not always better. So after after several phone calls, all hours of the night of distressed duck hunters calling me. Uh, pretty agitated, mad, because we tried to save them two or $300 on a generator, uh, and then the things wouldn't run all night long. We we made the decision that it was going to either be a Yamaha or a Honda, because those dudes, you pay a little more for them up front, but if a person, 
if a, if a person pays pays what they are and they are they are a little higher, but if you change oil with them dudes like you're supposed to and maintain them halfway well, you've got to really try to ever wear one of them out. So my suggestion is stick with a Honda or Yamaha. We sell a lot more Hondas, uh, and they just are darn near bulletproof because let's face it, we only got 60 days to make it or break it chasing these ducks. And we want our equipment to be the absolute best that it can be. And so we want to, we want to, we want to try to have the best. And when it comes to generators and ice eaters, man, the Honda is hard, hard sale to beat. Once that generator's chosen, you have the ice eater, you get it under the water. You said eight, 10, 12 inches. You recommend a foot. What if you can't get it a foot? Do you still recommend running it? And we hunt with dogs, dogs swim, their legs are kicking. How safe is the Mallard View Outdoors ice eater for a dog? Now, we do have dogs that are well-trained. We can whistle-stop them. We can give them a hand. We can handle them and give them a hand command to go to the right or the left, stay away from that. But when the adrenaline's going and we're right in the thick of it and we got to pick up ducks because we know that we only got a few short minutes of this flight or whatever, sometimes it gets forgotten. Are we going to wind up in trouble with a dog? Is there a potential potential disaster that you could talk about with a out uh, with an ice eater or are we safe with our dogs or is that why you say get them deeper in there so they have no chance of touching their paw or their leg into that fan we put a screen kit we put a screen kit on the back of every ice eater what we tell our what we tell folks is you know with dogs it's never a bad idea to put a double screen on them put a screen on the back it comes with a screen on the back add an extra screen on the front uh, but I'll be honest with you, to my knowledge, I've never heard of a dog being injured and I've never seen a dog that was down there nosing around an ice eater while it was running, moving all the water and the churning. They're pretty good about going around them, but if you double screen them, I've just never had a problem. I've never heard of a problem of injuring a dog. And uh, take that a step further with the human. We get in a, in a hurry. We're busting out there to move it because we need to get it pointed in a different direction or we want to open up a different part of the hole. 100% of the time, do you recommend and tell the end user and end consumer to turn it off before you go and move it at any given time? That's just the right answer. You know, common sense, common sense in, in, in your gut is always is always the right answer and that hardly will ever steer you wrong but we have to be we have to be smart we're working in a tough environment slick bottoms ice mud snow sleet it's just safer to pull the plug for 10 10, 15 seconds move it and then turn it back on yeah i think that again we're talking about preparation and and organization being the keys to success it's not always about world champion duck caller it's not always about you shot a 98 out on the sporting clays range and you ain't gonna miss a decoy in mallard or a bunch of teal buzzing you it's about are you a good enough duck hunter to think forward like we said focus forward and think about things like that you know what are you going to base your success off of you can be an awesome duck caller and they might not pay any attention to you if you're not if you're not have, you know, if you don't have the right hole open. So if you start to think about all of the different keys to success, all of the different pieces of this puzzle that we want to put together to be a consistently successful duck hunter, the ice eater is, we just talked about so many different applications that a lot of times, Josh, you don't even need a duck call. It's almost like hunting peas in Canada to where you put a mojo on those suckers are coming. 
I promise you don't even need to have, I mean, I've turned around standing up in the decoys and seen 50 mallards lighting in my decoy spread when I'm, when I'm putting dead geese or whatever in the decoy spread, it just shows you they're coming. So don't always pride yourself on the things that you, 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 you know, you practice to be the best duck caller in the world or your ego's telling you, man, I sound like a duck. I'm not saying that's not important and I'm nowhere near saying that's not fun, but start focusing on these things about your hole, your look, your creativity, your out of the box, unorthodox thinking, these ice eaters. Don't just say, oh, well, I'm going to put the ice eater out there and it's going to open the hole. Be creative with these suckers and create a landing zone, a kill hole, a, an applicant or something where these ducks are going to fly over and go good god almighty look at that down there and that to me is what these ice eaters from mallard view outdoors have allowed us to do over the past decade is have hunts that will literally blow your mind and again we're not the best duck callers in the world i'm not john stevens and i'm not jim ronquist who you work with also i can't sound anywhere near a duck like those guys can so but i kill some ducks and i owe it to things like the ice eater but more importantly focusing my attention on things that I don't have an ego. I'm going to work hard right now and I'm going to make this hole look as realistic as possible. So I hope duck hunters, you know, new and old alike, male and female alike, take that out of this conversation is that be thinking right now for next week, for tomorrow, for next season. How are you going to set yourself apart from the competition next door, down the road, in the same county? You have to be consistently thinking outside the box to kill ducks, especially in today's world when states like kentucky and even arkansas aren't seeing the duck your opportunities are getting fewer and fewer if you know what i mean unfortunately that that's real that's real and you know we hunt a lot of days chad we hunt a lot of days for that 10 minute flurry first thing in the morning when that sun's coming up and that's something we try hard to teach these young guys that we hunt with them own son colton you better you better you know we're, we're, we're there to, we're there to kill ducks and we're there for for that arena but man, you better you better understand that you better enjoy that uh, that beautiful sunrise and just look out and and enjoy what the you know God's great creation and just enjoy being in nature and the camaraderie with the buddies and our family and that's a big piece of the pie too. And uh, you you hit something there. Well, so I'm on a I'm on a dress real quick. When man back 25 years ago when we started going down to to Bisco, Arkansas and hunting with Billy Jack Alberson. And man, the ducks was there. We was having a great time, and we was in the blind one day. And this old boy, you know, and uh, this old boy, he was he was letting this duck call talk. He was hammering down, and he was hard on this thing. And old Billy Jack said, "Hey, let me see that call, man." And he, he said, "I think that thing needs to be pitched." And that guy got all interested. He said, "Yeah, he's gonna tune it." So he handed it to him, and old Billy Jack reared back, and he pitched that call about forty yards out in the decoy spread. <laughs> and uh, so that was that's one of them memories. That, just never never leave me as long as i remember you know that uh oh billy jack he'll he'll pitch him duck calls so if you're ever hunting with him and he says he's gonna pitch that call that's a pretty subtle hint put it in your pocket and leave it there yeah and I, I can't tell you how many times i've heard that in reference to my calling so i understand what they're saying you can't you can't take away the fun or the feeling you get when you do stand on a note or hit the right cadence and get ducks to turn but there's so much more that goes into success of duck hunting, especially in the prime time of the season, which is my favorite. And you touched on something right there about, you know, shooting them in the dark. It's a crazy mentality to me. I know you got young kids, you know, you got your son. I have my daughter. You're going to get on them. You want to be out there early. But here's the deal. When it's 18 degrees 
and ice is on the water and we're using ice eaters, it's heck to be out there on these kids. There's uh there's a we're in the golden age of of clothing and apparel and waders and technology and waterproof and windproof and insulation. Don't get me wrong. We can withstand these temperatures for a lot longer periods of time in today's age of technology and hunting, but it still can be miserable. You get your hands wet, your gloves get wet on the inside. They don't fit on your hands the right way anymore. So you got to get a buddy heater going and try to warm them up. And that doesn't work because you see you, you, you got to start cooking the biscuits or you got to put together a, a jerk line or something. So you get more ice on your hands and then they get too cold. So you, there's so much that can happen to make the hunt go wrong that has to go back to that pre, you know, that pre-season or that pre-hunt preparation and focus. But Shooting them in the dark is cool in September, October, and the kids are out there having fun. But the majesty of mallard ducks or puddle ducks decoying in sunlight is what I'm all about. And if you mix that with the cold temperatures, they're not probably going to be flying around early in the morning. They're going to sit on the water longer to keep it open. They're going to sit on the water longer to reserve their body heat, their core temperature, so that because it's cold. And they're going to give the earth a chance to warm up. And you ask yourself, what do you mean? Well, if they're not going to go out into rice or they're not going to go out into a cornfield and try to feed on frozen kernels, they can't bite it off the ground. They're not strong enough in their neck to pick it off the ground. That's why a lot of times you see Canada geese land in snow. The first thing they do is lay down. That's why shell decoys work so good in the winter for Canada geese or, or on, you know, on shorelines where there's ice because they're warming that earth to keep from moving a lot and keep their body temperature, but they're also melting the food around them so they could start picking at it. So if you tell yourself, what can I experience when the sun's up and it's shining on a mallard view ice eater hole? That's waterfowl hunting. That's the majesty of it. And when people see it done right, maybe just one time, but more than once consistently, I've seen it done right. I don't want to shoot them in the dark anymore. Again, you hear the terminology, especially where you're from in the south and south of the Mason-Dixon landings, especially, is I'm not that mad at them anymore. You don't hear that very much out here west. But down south, you hear duck hunters say, I'm not, I ain't that mad at them anymore. And usually what it means is you never were mad or angry at ducks. You're just not chasing. You might have gotten older. You got might have gotten wiser. You might have had so many good hunts. It's ready to pass it on to the next generation. But Josh, there's something to be said about seeing them at 10 a.m. in the morning in the sunshine when they're flying around acting like mallard ducks and they see that mallard view hole. That to me is what I'll say again is the pure majesty of duck hunting. Second to none. Second to none. The, the beauty and the glistening of it, that green-headed drink, you know, the sun shining off that dude's head, it's just, it's absolutely magical. And, you know, whether we ever get to pull the trigger or not, it's worth the price of mission just to see that show. And that's what I'm saying is that sometimes patience is key. You might shoot into a flock and and and, and all of a sudden be like, oh, man, I'm down to my one mallard. I, I just shot two hens because I couldn't tell the difference. Their body posture is the same. If it's a lone drake and he's grunt whistling coming in, yeah, you might smoke him. If you really want a dead greenhead in a picture or, or, or you're hungry and you need to eat lunch or dinner that day, I get that. But the majesty of waiting and letting that sun come up, knowing that they're in the area, knowing that you did your homework, knowing that you're prepared and you're adapting and you got all of this organization going on think about what you're getting ready to witness getting out of there at eight in the morning with a strap full of ducks that can be cool if you got to get to church or you got work to do that day but if you really want to experience it man go out there from 10 to 2 and see mallard ducks do some freaking incredible stuff over an ice eater hole when the temperatures allow for it when they get down to that you know that high of 35 and that low of 20 
them kids will appreciate it too. They'll keep them a lot more comfortable and they'll be a lot more willing to go with you tomorrow. And you don't freeze a, them to death. Yeah. That was another great point that we were talking about is that you, these kids get to sleep in. They're not freezing. The sun's up. They're having fun. Everything's lit up. And then those ducks start working. It's going to get their attention and keep their attention. And the confidence is going to come with some success that confidence isn't going to come for, uh, with the newbie out there, whether it's a guy in his forties, a girl in her twenties or a kid in, you know, that's eight, 10 years old, 12 years old. You go out there in the dark and they're freezing from the beginning and their feet get cold, their hands get cold, they get wet. It could be over for a long time. My, my daughter loves duck hunting. We got, we got into some canvas backs for her first ducks in the afternoon one time. Took her on a turkey hunt in the state of Nevada where we probably have nine turkeys in the whole state. Nine turkeys to you is a drive a mile from your house guaranteed where you live. But out here, we don't have them. I take my daughter on her first turkey hunt in the state of Nevada in the spring two years ago. She says, I'll never go turkey hunting again. It was so boring. We never heard them. We never saw them. And right there, that shows you like what is key to a kid is, is being engaged and, you know, if you call and you get a response and they hear that gobble, they might be like, oh, that was awesome. And then they see one fan out and strut and drum and, and do all the things that a turkey does. Then she might be like, oh, I can't wait to go again. Plus, it tasted good. We kicked, we cooked it on the Traeger. We fried it. You know what I mean? That confidence was shot because I didn't think about maybe I ought to take her on a turkey hunt where she's going to at least see some the first time we go out. Well, it's powerful. It's a powerful thing, man, when you hear that big gobbler and you, you watch him blow up and you can literally feel it in your chest when he's drumming. You know that, uh, And then you get that response back and you get them kids and that gobbles it's, it's parting their hair. That's powerful, man. And that's, that's awesome. And I hate to break your heart, man, but I don't have to go a mile. I can generally see eight or 10 off my front porch. So I'm a blessed man for that aspect for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're going to go turkey hunting Kentucky. I've had unbelievable, you know, turkey hunts in that state. Um, the ice eater though, don't know if it's applicable to turkey hunt. And I, I just think about confidence of what it's done for me of, and just the fun and the thinking of putting an ice eater in and what it's going to do. If people <clears throat> get that in their mind and they go out and they purchase this after hearing this, they have to understand that this is going to be years of entertainment. The entertainment value in an ice eater is just as much as the application of it and what it's truly doing for that water, that ice, that hunt. The entertainment value, you will not see ducks and geese decoy better than what they do on a sunny day with the wind and cold temps over an opened up hole from a Mallard View ice eater. Plain and simple. You will not beat that entertainment value in the movie theater, sporting arena. I don't care if it was the Kentucky, I think they're the Wildcats back when Patino was at Patino. I don't even remember what, I don't know much about college basketball, but I know that Kentucky was strong for many years. I'd rather see Mallards doing it over a Mallard View ice eater than watching a sold out. I don't even know the name of the arena. What's the arena? Driscoll Arena? What am I? I don't even know what I'm talking about. I just know that Kentucky has good basketball. I think you're trying to. I think you're trying to say rough, you know. But rope, hey, I mean, it's, rope, a, rope. it's definitely times are changing. The air is changing. They're going through a little slump. But uh, you know, I'm from Kentucky, and and I won't lie to you, man. I've, uh, I've 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 been around people all my life that they'd rather fight you over Kentucky basketball, and. And I have about as much fun rooting against the other team for the other team just to just to kind of ruffle their dander a little bit and keep their feathers fluffed up. And it's more fun to me to to go against the grain a little bit on basketball than it is, you know, follow follow like everybody else. So it's more fun to me to to ruffle them up. But you were saying 
about dice here, Chad. It's a, it's a tool in our arsenal. It's a tool in our arsenal that we've got to be able to know when to pull it out, when to use it, and let it work its magic and let it let it create memories for a lifetime. You know, if it can enhance our hunt and make us more make us more successful, uh, that's what it's for. You know, at the end of the day, man, making memories with 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 the kids and our buddies and our friends and our family and grandparents. That's the things that you'll never forget. That's the things that you can't really put a price tag on. Well, you say price tag, and I agree. You can't put a price tag on this entertainment value. Three-year warranty, I've never had an issue. We beat them up. We run them hard. We have them in our trailers. We have them in our boats. We have them in our shops. We have them in our blinds. We have them everywhere ready to roll. What are we looking at investment-wise here? Let's say that, let's say that we, have a genera- we have a generator already. You got your generator. There's a little variances in the in the three quarters and the one horses and the hundred foot cords versus the one fifties. But a good a good ballpark average is in that uh, six ninety nine to seven ninety nine range. That'll get you a genuine, authentic Mallard View outdoor ice eater with a full three year warranty, with the confidence of you knowing that you can pick that phone up and either talk to Melissa or myself any time of the day and 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 i'm here to tell you that we answer a lot of phone calls late at night when people's having a and, and if you've got enough of any product out there they're they're made by humans and occasionally you'll have a hiccup with something but the beauty of it is is dealing with a company that you've got full belief in that they're going to make it right and they're going to get you back in the game 100 percent. so give me the numbers again give me the sizes and the numbers one more time so we're clear on this you got the three quarters and the and the and the the one horse give me the exact sizes you're talking about we've got a three-quarter horse ice eater uh where the 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 avenue and the market in my opinion for the three quarters is the man that's got that's wanting to run a portable small 2200 or a 2000 honda generator because you can you can 99% of the time you can run one easily and you can run two three quarter horse ice eaters with 100 foot cords off of a 2000 or 2200 uh, watt Honda and that's that's the main market for the for the three quarters in my opinion is the guys that's got the smaller generators now then you go up to the to the one horse ice eater same deal you can do 100 foot cords or you can do the 150 foot cords on the 115 volt uh, ice eater. And what that's going to do for you is this. The, I'll put it in perspective. The three quarter horse ice eater is going to move somewhere around 1,000 to 1,100 gallons of water a minute. The one horse ice eater is going to move somewhere between 1,300 and 1,400 gallons a minute. So it's roughly 25% more water volumes what it's going to do. So the man that's got a, a bigger generator, a more constant duck hole, whether he has the luxury of having live power, then you're going to run the one horse ice eater. All right. So while we're on this topic, I'm going to hit the voltage a little bit. There is a difference between 115 volt to 30 volt. Okay. The actual water that's going to be moved between the different voltages, the 115 or the 230, the the volume of water that they move and the amount of work they're going to do is exactly the same. The only advantage of a 230 volt ice eater is this. 
you can run twice the distance on a power cord before you have voltage drop. So here's one very key important part of the pie that you have to understand. Just about every one of these small inverter generators are 115 volt only. So you cannot buy a 230 volt icing or expect to run it off of a generator that only supplies 115 volt power. And so you need to uh, go ahead. No, say that again. You, you can't expect what? What was the last statement you made? You have to educate yourself to whether you have a, a generator that provides 115 power or 230 power. So if you have a bigger generator that supplies 230 power, by all means, I, I like the 230s because you can stretch the cords out longer if you need to without voltage drop. But most of these little small Honda generators and the Yamaha generators are 115 only. So you, you do need to educate yourself just a little bit to find out if you have 230 power available or if you have to stick with 115. With the main reason being, if you do all this work and you're out there and you said, all right, guys, get in the truck, we're rolling, we'll come back and check it in eight hours when this thing's going to maybe be out of gas, you come back and you're froze tight because that voltage didn't allow that fan to turn or it shut it off, there's not a worse feeling in the world. And there again, Josh, is that adaptability and that focus forward and being prepared and understanding what that generator is going to be able to push out in accordance with those, those you know, the 100-foot cords or whatever cords you choose to run or if you have an extension cord in there too there's a there's you got to think duck hunting is a thinking man's lifestyle if you want success you have to think and if you think forward on that deal and you get and you keep it open because you know your generator and you know your output and your wattage you're going to come back and be like yes that's exactly what i needed it to do but man i don't know how many times i got my alarm set boom two in the morning got to go fill it with gas i might not have it hosed in there i might not have it plumbed plumbed into the generator you got you got you take turns during the night this hunts my turn next week's your turn the rotation's there i've done it for so many years that there's pride that goes into that so there's the worst thing in the world is going there at two in the morning and thinking man i'm going just to fill up the fuel and you get there and you're like Oh gosh, what happened? And now here you are again, moving it f closer. You're shortening up the cords. You're out there with your picks and your shovels and your re and your bars and your, you know, getting that ice broke up at two in the morning. It's that can just make your hunt be like, oh man, is it really going to be worth it? Heck yeah, if the mallards are there. But you could have prevented that by doing what Josh is saying of knowing that generator, right? That's exactly right. We got two types of we got two types of people that we see uh, every year. Every year, about mid-June to the end of June, the phones start ringing. And uh, Missy's got to turn into duck mode, I call it. You know, she, she's got a lot of different hats she wears. But come about the end of June, she puts on the duck hat. And uh, I'd be willing to bet she talks as much duck and mallard duck and generators and honey holes as any woman in the country. And that's pretty cool. So, uh, But we got two types of customers, Chad. I'm going to hit them real quick. we got the pre-planners, the organizers. And the phones start ringing about the end of June, and these guys are they're they're doing inventory on their you know on their Mountain View ice eaters. They're looking at the condition of their props. They're looking their at their cords. They're looking if they've tore anything up from the year before. And these guys are going through a checklist and they're getting prepared. and And so those are the pre planners, the guys that are they're pre planned. They know what they're not going to be caught with their pants down. What I like to say tell people is you know they're they're ready for the conditions and they're ready. And then uh, we got the guys that that uh, that do this. You know, 
it's pretty amazing with the technology that we have nowadays that they'll actually give you a 10 day, two week uh, weather forecast. And uh, so these guys will wait until like Friday afternoon and uh, it's going to freeze up 18 degrees tonight. And then the phones start ringing and they want to, and it's amazing how much, and it still blows my mind how much money people will spend on overnight freight because they didn't plan on cold weather. So, you know, we, we've, we've seen it more than once. A man spend as much money on freight, $1,000, $1,500 on three or four ice eaters to pay overnight freight uh, to get something for tomorrow when they've had all year long to think about it and get it ordered and, and be prepared. So that's my advice is just try to try to do some strategizing, some thinking, some pre, pre-planning and uh, get yourself organized and be prepared. It's such great advice. And again, it goes back to the very first few minutes of this discussion, Josh, is life. You just said something else. Be prepared in life. You got to you have to be able to adapt, but you also have to be able to forecast. You know, your strategy is going to depend on what you forecast. Do we always believe the weatherman? I don't know, man. Meteorologists today, I, I, you know, that's a guessing game. There's a lot of different apps out there, but more times than not, they're right. But it's our duty as duck hunters to make sure that we are prepared and that that goes back to the beginning of this talk about regulations and laws of your local government agencies your local dnr your department of natural resources department of wildlife federal regulations there's a lot of things that go in to being a migratory bird hunter there's a lot of reasons why there's less migratory bird hunters ducks and geese than there are turkey hunters predator hunters and deer hunters of course with that being up in the 12 to 15 million depending on different counts that you see out there in the consensus but there's a lot that goes into duck hunting once you know the rules and the regulations now you got to know how to identify them on the flight the color of their wings the way they cup up the color of their heads are they male are they female what's the limit on mallards hen mallards canvasbacks sprig you can only kill one sprig what even in louisiana even in california where there's millions of them there's just so much to learn and now you get into the fun part the strategy Putting this hunt together, the scouting, the dog training, the calling, the boat riding, the boat operation, the four-wheelers, the UTVs, the leases, the food plots, farming for ducks, it never ends. And now you add on top of that being able to keep a hole open when a lot of years, you know, not many years ago, there was a lot of people that couldn't hunt late in the season because they're like, no, we're froze out. Well, that's not the case anymore. These ducks will go to where the food is. They'll get on a reverse migration and they'll go from Louisiana back up to northern Missouri in a night because they know that it's up there, but they got pushed out for a couple of days. Anything is possible with an ice eater and forward thinking and focus forward and adaptability and preparation and communication and transparency and organization. Those are the keys to success, not being a world champion duck car because i know a lot of people that kill them and i mean kill them consistently and they've never even stepped on stage in, in stuttgart on main street downtown so think about that guys and girls out there think about what it's going to take to make you the best duck and goose hunter you can be because we want you to stay involved we want you to introduce this sport to future generations take somebody new hunting every year at least one time if not more get kids involved boys and girls because we have to keep this lifestyle going it's so humbling to see mallard duck do what they do over a mallard view 
Outdoors Ice Eater. I'm here to attest by it. I've seen it done hundreds and hundreds of times, and I cannot wait to see it in the next couple days. We got mallards and Canada geese ready to get over this ice hole. Be paying attention to our social media. Instagram, at the Foul Life TV, will be documenting it. Josh Tishner, any closing words, my man, as we bring another great discussion on the Mallard View Outdoors Ice Eater to an end? Do our best to control what we can control. Thank the good Lord for the sunshine every day. Be kind to your family. Get on with it. And I'm uh, for the guys and girls listening, just listening, you can see the shirt that Josh is wearing. He's got an old school hat on. He's been wearing that thing, dude. I got the real tree lid on. I got the Mallard View Outdoors with the official logo, keeping the honey hole open on the back with the official logo on the front. So anybody watching on YouTube and seeing these social media videos, get online and get some of this merch and wear this stuff and support these brands that support the culture of the American duck and goose hunter. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. I'm so proud to bring you these episodes each week with awesome guests like my good friend Josh Tishner from the great state of Kentucky with the unbelievable brand and culture of Mallard View Outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Mallard View Outdoors, keeping your honey hole open, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for future generations. It's going to open up opportunities for so many people to fall in love with this lifestyle of duck hunting that we hold so important and so close to our hearts. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. This song is called My Foul Life. Talk to you all soon.